This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Welcome to the internet and radio ministry of the Christian Crusaders. Have you ever wondered why there is so much evil in this world? If God is in control, why does he allow suffering in the lives of his followers? We are beginning a new series called It's a Hard Knock Life and we'll wrestle with the question, why, in today's program. Please join us. Sometimes life has its hard knocks. As the musical Annie says, it's a hard knock life. Why is that? Stay with us today and we'll look at an answer for that question. We begin our worship in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Gracious God, as we examine your holy word today, open our eyes to see the life-giving truths that you long for us to understand and build our lives upon. Thank you for the Bible, inspired by you and useful for us. Amen. reading is from Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God say, You shall not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it, or you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, You won't die. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. 
They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. God said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit from the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you've done? And the woman said, The serpent tricked me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you've done this, cursed are you among all animals and among all wild creatures. Upon your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will greatly increase your pangs in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children, yet your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. And to the man, he said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree about which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. But by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground, for out of it you are taken. You are dust, and to dust you shall return." The man named his wife Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made garments of skins for the man and for his wife and clothed them. And then the Lord God said, See, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now he might reach out his hand and also take from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent them forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from which man was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a sword flaming and turning to guard the way to the tree of life.
Dear friends, I love my job. After 37 years, I consider it still a privilege to be a pastor of a congregation and a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But like any job, there are some hard parts to it. Watching people suffer, especially people that I know and love, it's tough to know what to say or not to say. I've sat with grieving couples who have lost their children, a teenage son killed in a motorcycle accident, or a young couple holding a stillborn who asked, why? Why is this happening to us? Or being in a hospital room with a cancer patient, a young one who's been told there's nothing they can do for him, and why is this happening, he's asking. I've got a family to take care of. It's apparent to me after all these years of ministry that the musical is right, that musical Annie. It's a hard knock life. Why? Why is that? That's an age-old question. As people observe uh, starvation and disease-ravaged populations, wars and atrocities between nations and the mistreatment and cruelty of people towards other people and natural disasters and personal calamities that come along and shake up our lives. Along the way, I've learned that there are two ways of dealing with suffering in this world. One is to try to deal with it on an intellectual level, as if we could just wrap our head around this question, come up with an answer, maybe it would give us some peace. And today's message is going to touch on the more intellectual level. There's another level, though. I call it the survival level. Uh, It's asked the question instead of why, it asks how. How am I going to live with this and get through it? The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians is going to be our teacher in the next few weeks on that level. But as I said, today we talk about the intellectual level, the reasons behind a hard-knock life. And of course, as Christians, we look to the Scripture, right, for answers, because it, Scriptures are our authority. thing is, when you open up Scriptures and begin to poke around, you'll find there's no single answer. There's just a whole mix of answers, which can be fairly confusing and unsettling. The scripture will tell us in places, sometimes your suffering comes upon you because of something you've done. We've got Deuteronomy with the blessings and the curses that God lays out for Israel. If you don't obey me, there will be the curses. And we have Ezekiel 18, Ezekiel saying everybody's responsible for the suffering that's come upon themselves, their sin. Sometimes we we choose it according to Scripture. We pick up our cross and we follow Jesus. And the cross is a symbol of suffering and shame. And then we run across passages which tell us it's, it's Satan. Satan is on the attack, seeking to destroy devour us and ruin our faith and other places it says God lets it happen for our own good sometimes it's a means of disciplining us and and growing us in character and so on and sometimes people just throw up their hands like in the book of Ecclesiastes and say there's no good answer I found Genesis 3 to be helpful 
because it takes us back to the beginning and tells us the story of what happened to God's perfect world. God created this world and it was perfect and there was harmony, harmony between God and humanity, harmony between human beings and harmony between humanity and nature. It was perfect. But as you know, something happened. Genesis 3. The creation got all crazy. It broke. We've got the transgression as they ate the fruit they weren't supposed to eat because they were promised they would be like God and be able to run their own lives. And the temptation was too great, so they ate. And then we have God interrogating them and they're pointing the finger away from themselves, trying to say, I ate, but it was because of the woman that you gave me. And she says, because of the, the serpent, he tricked me. And then we have the consequences for the disobedience, don't we? We now have God laying out the future. There's going to be pain and there's going to be broken relationships and there's going to be thistles and thorns and you'll have to toil in the land to even survive. There will be death from dust you came to dust you shall return. I mean, it's going to be a mess, God said. And the whole creation will be, is infected. In Romans 8, for instance, Paul reflects on this by saying, the whole creation groans waiting for renewal. And the story moves on to Genesis 4, and all the way through Genesis 11, we see the spread of sin and its consequences. And by the end, it's just quite a messed up world. Matt Woodley, the editor of Preaching Today, tells a story from his childhood. He said, when I was about 10 years old, my dad, a medical doctor, received a special gift from one of his patients. A beautiful globe with shiny sequins. And the globe spun around on its base and played one of my dad's favorite songs. My dad proudly demonstrated how it worked, grab it by the base, slowly wind it counterclockwise, and then release it, letting it spin clockwise while playing beautiful music. He told us, you can touch it, but don't wind it because you might break it. Of course, a week later, while my dad was at work, I found the globe and brought it to my room. Although I heard my dad say, don't wind it up, I decided to wind it up anyway. I gave it a little twist and let it play. It played, but only about five seconds. So I gave it another twist and then another twist and five more twists and then snap, the globe separated from the base. Oh no. I desperately tried to fix it. I tried forcing the two pieces together. I tried gluing it. I tried taping it. And finally, as I stared hopelessly at the two pieces of the globe, I realized it was broken beyond repair. So I went into my closet, shut the door, and I hid from my dad. It was Genesis 3 all over again. And he says, our world's like that broken globe. It's been twisted too far and we can't put it back together again. Relationships break, our sexuality breaks, we're slowly breaking the earth, our hearts break, nations break down and go to war, our health breaks, our politics break. And all the glue and tape and positive thinking in the world can't put it back together again. Why the suffering? Because we live in a broken world, a broken world where people suffer. There's some amazing things that happen in this Genesis 3 story, though. Some grace. Notice what God didn't do after he got them to confess. He didn't turn his back on them and walk away. 
That would have been despair. And he didn't destroy them. And at the end of the story, we see that he even clothed them. It says in the story, when they ate the fruit, they realized they were naked. And in the Old Testament, nakedness is a symbol for shame and feeling exposed and embarrassed. And God clothed them and covered up their shame, their guilt. Scholars have pointed out that it was animal skins. Animals had to be sacrificed to cover their shame. Thus, perhaps the beginning of sacrifice for sin. And even a glimpse ahead to being clothed in righteousness by the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross for our sin. Grace. Now, thankfully, the story doesn't end at Genesis 3 with the brokenness and the mess. As I said, it's, it's only the beginning. After 11 chapters in Genesis, we see God putting his plan into place, calling Abraham and Sarah, promising them that there'll be a blessing to the nations of the world as he builds them into a nation, a nation we call Israel. And the rest of the Old Testament is God in relationship with Israel loving them, sticking with them even in their disobedience, still having plans for them. And then we get to the New Testament and we run into another picture of a garden. In Mark 14, there's a person there. He's on his knees. His name is Jesus Christ. He's the Son of God. He's getting ready to suffer and die for us on a cross. And he says to his father, Father, all things are possible with you, so take this cup of suffering away from you, but not my will, but thy will be done. And he obediently, innocently went to the cross as a sacrifice for the sin of the world. And in him there is forgiveness and a new start with God. If you're wondering if God cares and understands, not only does the cross represent the atonement for our sinfulness, forgiveness, but you can also see it as a symbol of empathy. Wheaton College uh, Provost Stan Jones provided a helpful perspective on all the questions about our suffering as he faced his own debilitating disease. He said, we sometimes find it difficult or even impossible to answer why. But then he says this. Long ago, I read a book about suffering. And the author made a point that I have had to return to time and time again. He said, most of our why questions about suffering are ultimately unanswerable. God does not seem to be in the business of answering the why questions. And most of our philosophical responses to the question of suffering amount to various forms of taking God off the hook for the problem of suffering. But the author pointed out that God doesn't seem to be interested in getting off the hook. In fact, the answer of God and Jesus Christ to the problem of suffering is not to get off the hook at all, but rather to impale himself on the hook of human suffering with us in the very midst of our suffering at the cross. When trouble comes and places a giant question mark over our existence, we should remember Jesus and the empathy 
of the cross. We serve a great high priest who sympathizes, who empathizes with our weakness. I remember Jesus, the story, John 11, shows up late for, for his friend Lazarus who has died. And he, he, they're all wailing and mourning as Jesus says, take me to him. And he sees the pain going on all around him and the dead body. And what did Jesus do? The one who said, the father and I are one. He wept. He wept. He knows suffering. And he cares. And finally, remember that the cross isn't the last word. Jesus rose again. Death is defeated and it cannot hold us. And I love the vision that God gives us at the end of the Bible in Revelation 21, where John is showing this vision. He says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth descending and the new Jerusalem. And a voice spoke and said, the dwelling place of God is with men. God will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more suffering, no more crying, no more death, and no more pain. It's like that old gospel song says, there'll be no more crying there. We are going to see the king. Yeah, no more dying there. We are going to see the king. There'll be no more crying there. We are going to see the king. Hallelujah, hallelujah, we're going to see the king. That's the promise. That's the vision for the believer in Jesus Christ. God has the last word over us. And that word is not brokenness and suffering. It's you wipe away the tears. And there'll be no more death and no more suffering and pain and crying. It'll be perfect, beyond our wildest dream. Now, I began saying, sometimes it's hard to know what to say to those that are suffering as a pastor. Let me give you a tip. When you're sitting with someone who is experiencing suffering in his or her life, you know, I think it's okay to, if they ask why to say, well, it's a broken world. Beyond that, I don't really know. And your evidence of that brokenness. But then I think instead of trying to rationalize any more with them, the best thing you can do is keep your rationalizations to yourself and move on with compassion, saying, But know this I care about you, and I'm here with you, and God is here with you. We just have to keep trusting him. Leave it at that. It's the best ministry you can do for your suffering loved one. Amen.
Let's pray. Lord, even though life does have its hard knocks because we live in a broken world, it's good to know that your grace still abounds and that you have the final word over us. For the sake of Jesus, forgive us when we do our own personal versions of the Genesis 3 story in our lives, being disobedient and then trying to blame others. And when we're trying to be compassionate caregivers and friends with those who are suffering around us, Lord, we ask that by your Spirit's power, you would help us to trust that our presence with them, our attentiveness and empathy towards them, and our prayers are enough, and that we need not intellectualize with them about the wise. Amen. Now as you go on your way, may Christ go with you. May he go before you to show you the way, behind you to encourage you, beside you to befriend you, above you to watch over and within you to give you his peace. Amen. You have been worshiping with the Internet and Radio Ministry of the Christian Crusaders. We pray today's message will help you trust God, who has the final word over the brokenness of this world. Christian Crusaders is 81 years old. Our first broadcast went over the airwaves in 1936. You're invited to help us celebrate with an anniversary gift to the ministry of $81 or more. Your donation will be used to ensure Christian Crusaders continues to broadcast the gospel for many more years to come. Please direct your gifts to Christian Crusaders, Post Office Box 522, Cedar Falls, Iowa 50613. To find out more about the many ways you can support our ministry, please call us toll-free at 1-888-MY-FAITH. That's 1-888-693-2484. Be sure to check out our engaging new website, christiancrusaders.org, for more information about this ministry or to hear today's program again. And for daily inspiration to enlighten your spirit, visit us on Facebook. We are happy you chose to worship with us this day and pray you will join us again next Sunday on this station. Conducting our service was the Reverend Steve Kramer, Senior Pastor of Shepherd of the Valley Lutheran Church in Afton, Minnesota, and Speaker on Christian Crusaders, on air and online, and now celebrating 81 years of continuous Sunday worship broadcasting. <laughs>